coming to you from the Nasser Alexander Kuchecki Studios, this is The Right Hash. The Right Hash is brought to you by Slim Sweets and by Speedy Custom Sneakers. Now, let's spark it up with your hosts, Luke Nadkarni and Alex Thompson. Hello and welcome once again to the original Nasser Alexander Kuchecki Studios. We did The Right Hash. A little bit amorphously. I was in Virginia. Alex and Rob were, of course, in North Carolina. I'm back in North Carolina, but the studios are still amorphous. And tennis has taken over the Winston-Salem branch of the Nasser Alexander Kuchecki Studios. And wouldn't you know it, Novak Djokovic, world number two, Grand Slam champion on the men's side, has uh, one of Alex's distant cousins, Jordan Thompson. And they're battling in the second set. Djokovic took the first set 6-3, but... On set in the in the set on serve in the second and I, I looking at Alex you never know that he has the genetics for for a tennis player but he, well, we've been fooled before Earl you know Earl Boykins and Muggsy Bogues played in the NBA it, it was really just kind of a product of circumstance uh, Jordan picked up the canister of tennis balls I grabbed the ten, the canister of Pringles they look pretty much the same and well you know different paths since then. The, you know, the the opening when you open them it smells great both ways but it's a different kind of great yeah i mean he can't stop tennis i can't stop popping pringles so it's it, it was it was meant to be jordan could be sitting right here and people would hate that so it I don't know, it's, he's all the, it's all the best he's australian people would probably like to hear him talk like peter moylan hello <laughs> Well, Peter Moylan, I love when Peter Moylan does the occasional color commentary on Braves games. He's great in the studio. He's, uh, well, this is how we'll kick off this episode of The Right Hash, by the way. Uh, Some baseball talk, Braves, Orioles, our favorite teams. But I I mean, the Braves play on the field speaks for itself. I think you might have retweeted this. Someone else might have retweeted this. But I saw saw a tweet that said, if Ellie De La Cruz didn't exist, they'd be on like a 16-game win streak or something like that. Yeah, it would have been uh, 25 roughly yeah okay yeah um (laughs) i actually well we lost to cleveland last night um maybe it was maybe it was 16 or 17 we've we've only lost up up until last night had only lost two of our last 25 i'm i think we were riding eight game win streak going into into cincy and then riding an eight game winning streak coming in nine game winning streak coming into last night so something um, about the state of ohio yeah i mean and the, the the thing is, Cincinnati's a really good team. It, it's it's not just De La Cruz. It's not just Votto. That they, they've got some real players, um, and they're still a they're still a young team, a young budding team. Um, if if it hadn't happened to the Braves, I would have been a lot more ecstatic about you know the De La Cruz cycle and just how he played that entire series, but. Um, it just goes to show how strong these Braves are that all of that had to happen. And still the, the Braves clawed back to within one in that particular game, uh, which for my money was probably my favorite series I've watched of the Braves um, in the last couple of years, you know, outside of postseason. that Cincinnati and Atlanta series was, that was electric. That, that should have been on national TV. I know you can't go back and make that decision, but, um, that it was an, as they say, an electric factory. And it's been that way for the Braves for the most part of the last two or three months. Um, obviously coming to a close last night, uh, with a one run loss and extras to Cleveland, 
uh, against against Shane Bieber, one, one of the best pitchers uh, in the in the majors this year. Um, and you know, you, you're going to lose some. That there is absolutely no reason to kick the dog, smash your light bulbs, and you know, call and harass the gas company because the Braves lost the game. Um, they're 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 doing they're doing just just fine. They have the biggest lead in any division in the majors, and it's one of the best divisions in the majors overall. So I, I I'm thrilled. I could rant about the Braves for another two and a half hours. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna stop it short of two and a half hours, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, probably so. But uh, Ozzy Albius has been the guy, I think. You know, Cunha's gonna do his thing, but it was Ozzy who had the game tying home run in, in Cleveland last night. Um, he's just he his swing is like so griffy, like and I've talked a couple other Braves fans I've talked to have, have said so as well. When he just he blasts those those just sweeping home runs to to right field. He's got he's got just an, an effortless swing. Uh and I, I actually, it's it's funny here in Winston Salem. I get the Reds on cable television. Uh, I have four teams technically here claiming territory. I don't get to see the Nats or the O's, but they're all blacked out. Get to see the Raves and the the Braves and the Reds. Uh, it was, I was actually out of town while that series was happening, which is a shame because I would have had my choice of broadcasts. Both are really good broadcasts uh, on their respective Bally networks. But Brand, Brandon Gauden has been uh, just a, a, a home run hire. Uh, he, he, he is very animated when he makes calls and sometimes flipping between him and the Reds, John Sadak, who's very like, tries to be Scully like, and very uh, calm and collected, even when things are happening. It was, I can appreciate the difference, but Brandon Gauden has been like just fucking awesome. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's tuning into that. Like I tuned in last night. So mainly to listen to him uh, just, just because, and also there wasn't a whole lot else on because it's that time of the year. And the main sporting event in my life is happening during the morning and afternoon. And right now, as we're recording, uh, Luke is sacrificing complete focus on uh, of Wimbledon. So uh, th- th- thank you for your uh, not undivided, but less divided attention. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm glad you pointed out the, the broadcast team for Cincinnati because on the uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, I wasn't totally watching an illegal stream because Rob Manfred's made it so easy to watch games. Um, on the stream I was watching for those three games, it was the the Cincinnati broadcast crew, um, which while while I would rather hear Godine, I, I I know that I'm going to hear it on you know the, the the Twitter highlights of you know the home runs that they put up. So I I actually kind of like listening to the other broadcasts when they're not horrible. I'm not listening to a Philly broadcast. I'm not listening to a Mets broadcast, but uh, Cincinnati. Uh, I, I I loved it. They have just enough homerism to where if you're listening for the other team, you get a little bit irked, but they still call stuff pretty much fairly. Um, and that they have good energy and rightfully so they should have had good energy because they were given a lot to be energetic about. Um, and, you know, kudos for the shout out of all these, but it's nice to see him playing more just straight up as a lefty at the plate. Uh, he, he's one of these guys who can switch hit, but he is significantly worse batting as a righty, like uh, almost to the point where it's not even worth getting the matchup advantage. I would still rather see him batting lefty to regardless of the pitcher on the mound, but th- this whole lineup one through nine has just been, uh, you know, otherworldly for the most part, it's a different guy every night. Um, you know, we had Michael Harris in game one against Cleveland, hit two home runs. Ozzie Albies last night hit two home runs. Uh, 
Uh, Matt Olson has been on a tear. He's the only guy. He's the only guy really nipping at Shohei's uh, home run lead in the majors. Uh, he leads the National League in RBIs and home runs. Uh, Sean Murphy and Travis Darno with the the, the, the two headed monster at catcher and DH. Marcelo Zuna has it, he up until no, he got a hit last night, I believe. So he's on a 14 game hit streak. Um, Austin Riley has had a really slow start to the season and he's still playing very well. You know, he's the, the, the second, uh, third baseman on the all-star team. Um, and what we're doing this without our pitching, you know, we don't have Max Reed. We don't have Kyle, Wright. We just got Michael, Michael Soroka back for game one of the Marlins series last Friday. Um, and it just, I don't see a lot that will stand in the way of this team. Uh, there's a lot of depth. So even if we do lose a bat, I think the only guy who we don't have a real replacement for right now is Acuna and maybe Arcia. Otherwise, I mean, not to, not to down talk anybody else, want any of our eight all-stars, but um, we, we, we have, we had the squad depth to replace some guys and we have the, the lineup to to cover up uh deficiencies elsewhere which we've been doing uh by just outscoring our inexperienced pitching yeah and the the going back to the to the the broadcast crew godden is he he's so creative with with his end of game calls not just for the game but for the series too would, would you like to share what you texted me on the, on Sunday when they finished the sweep of, of the Marlins. I mean, it, you know, as many times as we swept the Marlins, I would have thought this would have come up at one point, but um, fly out to center uh, by the Marlins to uh, Michael Harris to end this, to end the series. And as he catches the ball, uh, Brandon goes and there's the end of a three day fish fry. And it was just, I, I truly believe that only an Atlanta fan would have been able to say something like that in context, you know, because it, it, it had, it had just that little bit of a personal feeling behind it. Uh, you, you could, you could hear the shit eating grin on his face as he said it, even though you couldn't see him uh, and just a, a call, a call for the ages, one that I'll never forget. The Marlins are a true little brother. They kind of always have been Gr growing up. It was always the Phillies and the Marlins that, they would just beat down constantly. And th those were the most fun teams to just kind of like do the Fortnite dance and just be like, you know, loser. Uh, and, and the Marlins have just stayed that way, despite their, their two world series titles uh, in between the ones that the Braves won. Uh, it just seems like disproportionately uh, the Braves always had these big innings, these huge wins. And then these, these just like we own you type series ag against the Marlins, especially. Yeah. Uh, Outside of this year, I mean, I would say pretty much everyone who has played the Marlins has had those types of series against yeah. them. Um, but cer certainly more so the 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 teams when they're good in the division. I mean, it's been a long time since uh, you know D Train and and Pudge Rodriguez were over there uh, making noise, and that's kind of that that that's the last real big duo I remember uh, for the Marlins, and they kind of have a new one now. Um, with with Sandy and Jazz Chisholm, and you know that they've actually got a, a pretty good roster. That uh, this Arise guy who's come out of nowhere this year and is flirting with 400. Um, you know, as as much as I don't think batting average matters as much anymore, I, that makes it almost more impressive because everyone is concerned with hitting home runs and you know hitting exit velocity and all this kind of stuff. This guy just wants to 
you know, Pete Rose slap this ball, Tony Gwynn slap this ball into play, get on base and let someone else drive him in. And um, it's no coincidence that you have a player with that approach and then your, your whole team immediately uh, looks better and, and plays better. And it seems like they're all somewhat adopting a similar mindset and, it's no mistake for them to be second in the NL East. Uh, they're de- they're eight games behind, but honestly, those those eight games they're really only back the games that they've lost to the Braves. They've been on par outside of the the Braves series. Uh, they've been on par with the Braves as far as it comes to outside of the NL East. Um, so that they've got a good squad. They're not going to go away. I don't see them catching the Braves, but this is the team that I could see. Uh, you know. You can see two NL East teams possibly in a wild card spot, but uh, I'd take the Marlins to make it over the Mets. I don't know about the Phillies, but uh, I think the Marlins will finish higher than the Mets this year for sure. Definitely. And I think the best NL teams in in the most recent years are the ones who thought ahead and were like, we can construct our roster differently because of the DH. Um, And I think the Braves and now the Marlins are a couple of teams that have gotten ahead of that. Uh, and it, forget the Mets. I mean, I think I think the Mets might be in packet in mode, which which would be really great. Uh, but the other point to that is that with the scheduling changes, there's fewer division games now, and it makes it harder to gain ground directly on the teams you're chasing. I mean, we're in July now, and you, you know, the the longer it goes, where it's six, seven, eight games, the, really the harder it's going to go for anybody in any division to overtake wh- whoever is leading. So that that's something to watch too. As the season goes along, we're about to come up on the all-star break, which is seen as the halfway point, but it's actually mathematically further along than the halfway point. So yeah, the, the break, you know, the Marlins don't get as many shots at the Braves and neither do the rest of the teams as you normally would uh, in, in previous seasons. I, I also don't see, at least in the NL East, I mean, maybe the Mets could be at the table in this conversation, but I don't see anybody in the East that has a, a good enough team right now to compete with the Braves, but is going to be adding three players, the caliber of Kyle Wright, Max Freed, and Mike Soroka. Mike Soroka actually looked pretty good. Uh, got the win in his first game against the Marlins last Friday. Um, but he, he hasn't pitched in like three or four years. Um, you know, we, we've gotten, I want to say like five or six combined actual starts out of Max Freed and Kyle Wright this year. Um, and are, are still the best team in baseball and going to be adding three guys who at any one point have competed for a Cy Young, um, you know, NL pitcher of the year, uh, newcomer of the year type of award. I, that there, there would have to be something astronomically wrong in the next hundred games for the brave, the next 90, 80 something games for the Braves to not absolutely demolish this this uh division lead um i i just i we have we have guys who have been pitching who maybe shouldn't have even been pitching in triple a and they're pitching in the majors and and racking up wins and you're gonna come and add right freed and soroka back to that uh i i i hate i hate to get too big of a head too early i just I, i legitimately don't see it like i said the mets are the only team that i could see who have the missing pieces that are on the roster. They're just missing right now um, to add, to maybe make that much of a jump from where they are now to where they could be. Uh, the, the Marlins are pretty much playing with everybody. I know Sandy 
uh, Alcantara, Alcantara. I've heard it both ways. Um, you know, he, he's been out uh, or at least dealing with a nagging injury most of this season, but otherwise they've been pretty healthy. Uh, Phillies have been pretty healthy. I mean, I guess yeah, the Nationals have been hurt pretty much. And they did lose yeah. to Hoskins at the beginning of the year, but That's they're, still the Phil- I, they're still the Phillies. So I forgot far. about Reese, but uh, the, the Phillies strength last year was their pitching. And, yep. um, you know, that I think it's pretty much continued. They're just not getting the run support, like you said, from the guys who are missing there. Um, and I, I think from a locker room standpoint, missing Bryce Harper may be a benefit over a positive some days. <laughs> uh, but uh, the, those are still two teams I still see making the playoffs. I, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't know if there's a National League team that I, the, the Reds are the only team that I have felt actually like, oh my God, this team could beat us in a series. Um, maybe the Dodgers when we play just because of, you know, the, the head-to-head recent rivalry, but otherwise – uh, I don't. I don't see a team in the National League that's going to stand in the Braves' way of getting to uh, another World Series uh, appearance. Uh, well, we can talk about American League, um, and as we as we shift over into the American League, looking at the at the stacked teams in the other East, uh, the AL East is pretty stacked. I mean, the Red Sox are five hundred in the last and thirteen games out um, of the AL East. The Orioles are. 14 games over 500 and six games out. Um, It's, it's a nutty division where, I mean, we're talking about, I've heard so much about the Yankees, you know, we're failing at this, we're failing at that. And I'm like, you guys are 10 games over 500. Jesus. Like what, what I, I understand it sucks to it all be coagulated in that one division, but good Lord, at least be able to admit we're having a good season. Just other teams are having better ones. And the the uh, the I don't think anyone's catching the Rays in, in that division. In that division, similar to the Braves, I think that was kind of determined early on who the class of that division is. I saw a couple of days ago that the Red Sox would have been in first place in the Central, the AL Central, with yeah. their record versus the Twins, who were in first place. Uh, and that's that's wild to me. That's baseball is a crazy sport. The, um, the, we do see, the, we do see that in the NBA and NHL occasionally too. And I mean, you don't even have to talk about sub five hundred teams in the. NFL hosting playoff games, but there is that imbalance kind of everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not anything you can do about it just because of how they're, you know, sometimes this happens, sometimes it doesn't. It's kind of like the NBA where you see a lot of the talent all stack up on one side because they're all having to stack up because the rest of the conference is talented. Um, And it seems like, you know, between the Rays, Orioles, Yankees, Blue Jays, and Red Sox, they've all got a nice combination of, uh, you know, homegrown talent, experience and then a couple of you know wily veterans um the the wily veterans more in the yankees blue jays and red sox the orioles and rays are very farm built teams that have just been you know built up and worked on over the last you know five years the the rays maybe seeing some more of the promise earlier than the orioles have but um only six games back of this race squad um I know you said the race can't be caught, but I was looking at the Orioles ERA earlier this uh, earlier today. And there's only like one guy who is sub five ERA on that squad. If they go out at the deadline and pick up a, a pitcher or two off of one of these non-contenders, get some real pitching in there. I, I'm just going to say, and this isn't to placate to you or anybody else, but uh, I think the Orioles can catch the race. Um 
the the Rays are five and five in their last ten. Granted, the Orioles are four and six, but um, the whole AL East is you know for for the most part hitting five hundred uh, in their their win loss for the last ten games or so. Um, I, I I could I could see the Orioles overtaking the Rays or at least pushing them to the absolute brink. Yeah, the issue in Baltimore it's been is the bats have kind of gone really quiet. Uh, the the last couple series. I mean, I'm not even going to talk about the losing the uh, couple, the couple games to the Yankees. The third game is tonight, but already a series loss uh, in that one. But the series against the the Twins, who, as I mentioned, were in first place with like a 500 record in the Central. We won those games. We won the second game of that series, lost the series two out of three, won the third game, I should say, two to one. And in the previous two games, we put up one run altogether. Uh, And and that that isn't something that was just an anomaly, uh, because looking back, the series against the Reds. I mean, in the, in the, in the loss, uh, two, two loss to the Reds, we scored eight runs combined. That's, that's not really going to get it done. And, and even beating the Mariners in a series, we had nine runs between the two wins with a 13 to one loss mixed in. So that, what we don't have that the Braves have, I think is, is that depth you were talking about. And I think that's more common under uh, less experienced teams. Uh, they're got, got to call it calling up Colton Kowser. Uh, I think yesterday, um, Adley Rushman selected for the home run derby. Um, Cedric Mullins coming back from the injury, the injury hurt, um, you know, the whole lineup, but I, I would need the bats to, to get, get going again. Uh, if, if we're going to make that, that run against the Tampa Bay team that can just hit the cover off the ball. Uh, and, and what I'm really hoping doesn't happen is the classic home post home run derby swoon that we've seen from so many players, uh, with Adley Rushman, because especially with Mullins out, he was carrying our offense. Uh, but I do want to shout out Austin Hayes. I think he's been our most improved player of the season. Uh, I, got to pull back his stat his stats back up uh but his his ops has jumped from uh you know consistently in the 700s his last three seasons it's 843 now um and he's he's got eight home runs driven in 34 probably on pace to set a career high for runs driven in and he's gonna probably break a career high with doubles and total hits too so he's a a prospect that's really panned out and it gives me gives me optimism for the the guys coming up the pipe that'll that'll uh hopefully pan out too we're kind of behind that whole disastrous stretch that we had for the last five years yeah i i i see i see this baltimore project this baltimore team right now is it reminds me a lot of the uh, Joel Embiid 76ers, you know, and I, and I know trust the process has get got thrown around so much in the last five years that it is just absolute nauseating cliche at this point, but it, they, they, they've built it similarly. And you can see the staying power that the 76ers have had um, just staying true to the process, making sure your foundation is set. Yes. You're going to have a James Harden come in and out. You're going to, you know, probably overpay a guy like Tobias Harris to keep some of that stability, um, but by and large, it, it opens up an opportunity for you to draft on top of a good foundation. And that, that's, what, that's what the Orioles have been doing. Um, I, I don't think if you just asked a, a casual baseball fan to name a Baltimore Orioles player, if they didn't name Adley Rushman just because, you know, he was number one overall pick and, you know, was something of a, a, a minor, you know, popular topic for a while, or Cedric Mullins, who has just gotten, you know, a, a little bit of airtime because of his speed and kind of the only name from the last couple of years on the Orioles. I don't know if I could have named uh, a player on the Orioles coming into this season other than 
just knowing who Aaron Hicks is. Um, so I, I think it's just a, a, a compliment and a testament to the process that they have been going through there uh, in Baltimore, staying true to it. Uh, as sometimes it's looked like they have given up in seasons. And uh, to be quite honest with you, I, that's probably true, but it was all calculated, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I like flying under the radar too. I, I like not having everybody talk about us the way they're talking about the Rays. And I mean, the Braves are definitely not a team that can be accused of flying under the radar since their, uh, their world series two seasons ago. So I, I just, I, I don't want the, the train to stop here, I guess, you know, I don't, I'm not satisfied with improving to second place in the division. You know, I, I take it a little more seriously than that. The older I get, and it's like, just yeah, why why can't we catch the fucking right the fucking rays, man? They can't even get three thousand people to come to their games, and it's just like, damn, we've we've worked this hard, and it's like we're reaping some of the benefits, and I want to reap all of them. Uh, I I mean, I think the Orioles are at a um, earlier point in their process than the Rays are. Well, you remember the the Blake Snell Rays from just a couple of years ago that were really still really good. They had a low payroll, but they were still really good. The problem is Seattle has never paid one of their star players ever. Um, now, of course, they 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 changed that recently. Um, uh, I don't know why his name, uh, Wander Franco, uh, signing Wander Franco, great player. I, I believe that's who I'm thinking of. Um, their their very recent star player who was up uh, actually down the road from us in uh, in Durham, North Carolina. Yeah. Your mind was uh, wandering a little bit. It's fine. Yeah, uh, it, it was either Ron, Wander or Julio, but I think Julio's a, a, a little bit too old to be playing these days. Um, maybe can make the Mets roster, though. They're still looking. Yeah, I'm convinced um, he's still playing professionally somewhere. Just We just don't know I, about it. I mean, if Bobby Bonilla is still getting paid, why can't Julio Franco still be exactly. getting paid? Exactly, exactly. Uh, but, at, I mean, <laughs> I've, I've always kind of liked the Orioles just because they have the best orange jerseys in baseball. Uh, they have of one of the most interesting um, fields in baseball just built into the side of industry. It is such a uh, it's, it's just such a it just feels like a baseball stadium. Like it feels like you go there and some of these other stadiums are like, look at our backdrop of our city or look, look at our big fountain or look at the big apple that comes up. But Baltimore is just like, take a look at down the street. And down the street is beautiful where they are. It, it reminds me a little bit of uh, the Durham Bulls stadium with the lucky strike stack. It has kind of a similar baseball ambiance to me. So I've always liked the Orioles and I'm, I'm glad that they're finally not a laughing stock again. And it allows you to focus on the game on the field too. It's like here, yeah. you're here to watch baseball. Um, and I did hear a great nickname for the wall now at left field. Just, I can't believe I hadn't heard it before. Waltimore. It's Baltimore. <laughs> Baltimore is interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll, I hate we'll, it though. We'll have to we'll have to make sure that passes all the uh, the, the 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 PC variables. But Baltimore is good. It is pe- patent pending on, on Baltimore. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's about what I've got for uh, I've got for for the O's. I mean, we uh, losing a series to the Yankees has really pricked a, pricked the balloon for I, me. Especially with the uh, shit I get from some Yankee fans who may or may not be on the Georgia broadcast crew. Fuck Yankees fans, man. All front runners and people who can't be satisfied. Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, t- tell me quickly, because I actually did not watch the AL All-Star Review um, or uh, announcement 
were there any Orioles and how many Orioles were have made the uh, AL All-Star team? Again, I have the list in front of me and now I have to uh, wait for it to refresh. Um, I'm, assu- I'm assuming Adley Rushman was, was selected. Um, so yeah, so Austin Hayes, who I mentioned, Adley Rushman, setup man Yenier Cano and closer Felix Bautista were all named to the All-Star team. Uh, so that, that, that's pretty, four is pretty cool. I mean, that's, I'm not, I, I can't, I don't have that in front of me, but uh, that four, seems like a lot for, for the last few years. Yeah. yeah. Four for Baltimore is, uh, um, I mean, that, that was just, that, that was, that was Chris Davis. That's, that's <laughs> the only guy who ever made that list as far as I can remember. Um, and you got Adley playing in the home run derby, which I did know about him. I didn't know the other three players on the, on the roster, but um, I, I, I hope, well, like you said, I hope there's no post home run derby fall off. It seems like that somewhat avoided the players and Pete Alonzo um, and, and Vlad Jr. the last couple of years. So hopefully that's more of a thing of the past, but it's always, it's kind of like the Madden curse. You don't want to believe it, but then it happens to you and you're like, fuck. Yeah. It's like, it's, if it would happen, it would happen to the Orioles and it would happen this season because that's how shit works. Exactly. Robinson Cano is never the same. <laughs> as we move to uh, our next subject uh, of, of discussion here on an, an afternoon episode of the right hash here uh jordan thompson is in a tie break with novak djokovic in the second set um so that there's some, a little bit little bit of potential drama there if the australian can uh can pull the the minor upset in the second set but we we Today. were we were trying to think of things that we were going to talk about here and we kind of just settled on a a brainstorm we were maybe going to do epl and sec this uh comparisons but we we need to refine that a little bit more so we're just going to open the open the forum to what what are we looking forward to for the 2023 college football season uh we're we're coming up on season number three here on the right hash this is the last month on the calendar without any college football so we're we we figure it's an appropriate time alex has already poured into the phil steel uh magazine but just just time to be like all right here we go 2023 college football and it's it's about to be here and we're we're just setting the scene just putting the ball on the tee i guess if 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 you will yeah we've got sec media day um media days in the next 10 days or so um i'm excited for that because they've moved it out of the hell hole that is birmingham and put it up in nashville finally so um maybe we'll have a little bit of a different process um, you know, people can actually use doors that use cards to get in. They don't have, you know, kids who work at the school letting you in. There's going to be actual security. It's going to be an actual updated facility. Um, Nick Saban doesn't have an office there. So um, I'm excited to, you know, first and foremost, just what's coming up is media days. Um, but for the, for the grander part of the season, um, while I'm a Tennessee fan, uh, I, I still am excited to see how some other things in the SEC shake out. Um, and just a couple of those things are, uh, you know, being an NC State fan as well. I'm interested to see how Devin Leary translates to the SEC. Uh, there's a lot of folks in the SEC who seem to think he's going to um, be a top three quarterback in the SEC. I don't see that happening because I watched enough of him in the ACC uh, to know that uh he got he he got credit for a lot of games the defense won um that being said still a good enough quarterback uh he's you know at Kentucky gonna have 
a decent supporting cast around him, but probably not a whole lot different than what he had at NC State, uh, except for his schedule got a whole lot harder. Um, but I'm also looking forward to see how um, the two, you know, I, I guess top teams in the SEC from the last five or ten years uh, stick it out after quarterback changes and a couple of, you know, uh, G- Georgia really has lost that entire you know, God tier defense in the last two years that that's been drafted uh, away. Of course, they've they've reloaded, but it's new guys. Georgia's always had good defenses. They turned it into a great defense the last couple of years, and now they lose the most successful quarterback they've ever had in, in program history. Um, just a lot of new. And I'm sure somewhere Kobe, Kirby Smart is going to find this audio snippet of me talking about him and, and, and shape it into the media expects us to go four and eight guys. What are we going to do about it? Um, but I, I, I still am interested to see how they adapt to new quarterback, new, pretty much a new defense. Um, and, you know, a somewhat ever strengthening SEC East, I would say. Um, although it's probably maybe a little bit easier of an East this year than last year. Um, and then of course, on the, on the other side of the conference, you have Alabama losing Bryce Young, uh, they struggled with him last year and now they have Jalen Milrow maybe as, as their, their penciled in starter for this year. Um, you know, that they lose talent across the board as Alabama always does. And then you, you have the rise of, of Jaden Daniels um, at LSU, Brian Kelly having a good first year, Texas A&M looks to bounce back. Um, I'm really interested to see if we're kind of settling Alabama into just, the the top tier they're not in their own tier in the west anymore george i think is still probably alone until we're proven not but that's that's mostly what i'm looking forward to this year is to see outside of tennessee to see how those two teams adapt to losing their big quarterbacks and then a a lot of really really good supporting players pb roulette especially with the transfer portal is is always going to be a popular one uh just the new faces everywhere all over the place. Brennan Armstrong at NC State is uh, is going to be uh, something I'm watching because he's back with Robert and I, his offensive coordinator from UVA, who spent a season at Syracuse. And uh, that, that's just, I don't know, there's just the classic NC State, not really optimism, but, you know, what could go wrong type, type of approach. But people seem to be excited about Brennan Armstrong. I know better than to um, for a combination of reasons, but that's, that's going to be something I have my eye on. Virginia host NC state at Scott stadium, November or not, excuse me, September 22nd uh, on a Friday night. So that'll be a, that'll be an interesting, uh, interesting television for, for those who, who care, um, which is a small subset of the population. Uh, another thing I'm watching is we've got the big 12 just becoming bloated now. Um, and for one season, it's a, it's a 14 team conference now uh, with the one year with OU and Texas still in it. I, I'm, I'm focusing on those two teams to see, you know, is it, is this kind of, you know, they're, they're going to be leaving the rest of the conference in the dust on a, off the field. Definitely. I want to see if that happens on the field this year. Uh, Texas has been a bit of a dormant program for a few years and uh, coming over to the SEC, their schedules are about to get a lot harder too. Um, and, and I, and kind of piggybacking off of that, all, there's been a lot of realignment. The American has new faces coming up from Conference USA. And of course, these teams from previously from the American just became official on July 1st are now members of the Big 12, UCF, Houston, BYU. Um, and uh, who, who, who am I leaving out? Um, 
UCF, BYU, Houston, and Cincinnati. Cincinnati, there you go. Um, very for- forgettable team. Uh, so that that just how that all mishmash, you know, works together with these uh, these kind of mediocre Big Twelve teams. Who rises to the top? Who's not really built for it? Uh, is going to be a big big um, just a big uh, piece of attention for me. And just specifically, I think it's going to be Carson Beck for Georgia this year. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure. I don't think they're going to make that decision until much, much later. But he got most of the first team reps in the uh, in the spring game. So signs point to him being the guy getting the first crack to replace Stetson Bennett. Which, it like you be. said, it's a different. Yeah, you know, it's a different. Uh, a different looking Georgia team. But like like classic Georgia teams, they have uh, a schedule loaded with cupcakes, especially early on. So uh, they 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 will probably ha- carry that nobody believed in us uh, mentality for for a few weeks until. Um, not South Carolina is the first conference game, but that's in Athens. So that should be a romp. I'm not sure who they go to first between Auburn and Vanderbilt, but those are two teams they should beat too. And, you know, the, the showdown on Rocky top this year is, is something I'm going to have circled just because it'll be my first time uh, producing a game taking place at Neyland stadium. So that's a, that'll be an interesting professional thing for me. I'll get to hear, hear how it sounds through, through the headset back in the studio. Hopefully it's loud um, for the duration of the game. Um, that certainly is kind of the, uh, I, I would say Tennessee fans have two, two games circled, uh, Bama and Georgia, and then they just have that asterisk next to that South Carolina game. I don't think it's circled, but it's like, it's one of those, like, oh my God, how do we let this happen? It's time to just go absolutely beat down this kid that we should have beat down the first time. Um, so I, I think that's where their, their schedule is Georgia, um, you know, I, I mentioned pretty much everything I had to say about them, but they they have the recruits to to reload. Uh, the the big difference to me was having Stetson Bennett, and while he wasn't the the, the most technically gifted, the most athletically gifted, the best passer, the best runner, uh, he's the best winner they've had. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. And you know, Carson Beck can come in with however many five star elite 11s whatever he wants across his chest um that 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 doesn't matter once once you get here um uh, if if you if you don't win it 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 hurts you to have those accolades behind you uh so he's he's going to be the guy he's been the guy for the last year or two waiting in the wings for if Stetson messed up or got hurt um Stetson never did no matter how many times they called for his head across the not losing but like one game in the last two years um, it should be interesting. Um, one thing I'm interested in from outside of the SEC, and honestly, probably one of the only things I'm interested in outside of the SEC is how Matt Rule goes about this Nebraska job. Um, this is a, a Nebraska program that if you're a college football purist, you understand and respect where they stand um, in, in the grand scheme of football. Uh, and they've needed a guy to get them back there and he's had some success in the portal uh he's had some success on the recruiting trail for next year's class and um looks to have signs of life signs of positivity uh signs of you know there being an adult in the building and a guy who kind of knows what he's doing don't don't let the getting fired from the panther stuff cloud your memory of what he did in college football um he was an absolute trendsetter in, in college football when he was when he was there uh, at Baylor a couple of years ago. So I'm interested to see how he uh, takes a crack at 
uh, restoring that dormant blue blood powerhouse football program. First year coaches kind of like uh, transfer portal quarterbacks are, are always the uh, always a subject of interest to Hugh freeze at Auburn. I still can't believe that they had Cadillac Williams as the interim and the atmosphere after his first win at Jordan air stadium. And then they were decided like, all right, let's get Hugh show cause freeze instead. Uh, so Auburn's a team that I don't expect to take a big step forward. Um, and, uh, it's, it, it, I don't know. I just, I would have loved to see Cadillac Williams, uh, be named the coach for, uh, for, uh, Auburn as I'm, I'm just kind of looking up, uh, some other, some other coaches that I'm, I'm interested in, in seeing, I'm, I'm interested in seeing the job Mario Cristobal does. I know it's not his first year, but, uh, seeing what, how, how he takes, uh, Oregon from year one, uh, to year two. And that, you know, that, that was a, a team that I got to see last year, uh, in, in a game, in a game against Georgia that, uh, it was very much a uh, a Georgia romp, um, and of course we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the first year for Coach Prime at, but I, I almost said at Buffalo, uh, the Colorado Buffaloes, uh, CU Boulder. Uh, that's his first his first uh, private or private um, Power Five job. So that's that's going to be I think the most scrutinized uh, first year head coach. But Jeff Brom at Louisville uh, coming to the ACC, and Luke Fickle at Wisconsin testing his medal in the Big Ten are a couple other guys I'm going to be watching to see the jobs that they do. You, you alluded to another one, um, not first year. I don't, this is his second year, but um, Brent Venables at Oklahoma. Um, as it, it's, it's a tall task already rebuilding what little Lincoln Riley left behind. Um, they did not have a good year last year. There's not a whole lot of, you know, S- Snow White doves singing and everything's nice in the meadow. Uh, out there in Oklahoma, uh, but he's got kind of this. It's it's a weird year because when you're recruiting, you're not you're not recruiting to your conference that you're in right now. You're recruiting to the new conference and the new money and the new competition you're going to have um, next year. So I, I'm I'm kind of intrigued. At te- Texas, I think, is overhyped, but will still do fine. They've got good players. They've got uh, you know a good stable of quarterbacks and a, a good quarterback coach i think that's going to be mostly fine i think they're wickedly overhyped at number five in the country but i think they should probably still be the favorites for their conference oklahoma on the other hand they have a lot of work to get done in a short amount of time if they don't want to come in here and get absolutely embarrassed in the sec immediately Um, so i'm interested to see how venables does this year at oklahoma in preparation for the move from one brent to another uh, Virginia Tech, Brent Pry in his second year. Uh, they've been really excited about the recruiting he's been doing there. And he has sort of taken Virginia Tech back to that blue collar uh, defensive grinded out football that they were missing when Justin Fuente was the head coach. Uh, you know, it, it was one of those growing pains years last year that Virginia game didn't end up happening because of the shootings in November back in Charlottesville. But uh, so I, I didn't get a chance to really see what what they were up against uh, or see see what they were against up against the team that I uh, I know something about, uh, but just football in the state of Virginia, two second year head coaches in Brent Pry and Tony Elliott. I think tech is set up in a better position right now because uh, Virginia, Virginia needs to figure out their offense and quickly. I don't know if they're going to do it, uh, but Virginia's defense, I think is going to carry the team this year. And, and uh, just those, how those two, you know, the, they, Virginia and Virginia tech had coaching changes, their previous two coaching changes, both in the same years. And we saw Virginia tech get out to, I think was a, 
perceived as a a lead, so to speak, in the first two years uh, before Fuente kind of burned things to the ground and Bronco Mendenhall had Virginia in the Orange Bowl. Uh, so second year here for Elliott and Pry, and the game should happen this year too, uh, barring anything crazy. So that that's that's you know, I, I wish Connor Lilly would comment on this this post and see what see what he thinks about Coach Elliott in his second year, but. Uh, that's that's a going to be a subject of interest for me. What and we'll be certain to have Connor on here as we get closer to the uh, the the opener in Nashville between Tennessee and Virginia, um, and we'll we'll be sure to pick his brain a little bit about Virginia Tech as well. But uh, we we will certainly you know time permitting for Connor of course have him on uh, probably in August later in August just as we go up to Week One for the first official in my opinion, like the real right hash clash, this is, it's impossible to find a team that we both care equally about, but it's, it's pretty close. It's very similar to last year's uh, Redskins, uh, sorry, commanders Jaguars game. Um, So I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Really nowhere to go, but down for me, because I think the expectation is for Tennessee to win that game. Um, So it, it would just be, uh, it would be a bad start to the season if we didn't, but we'll, we will definitely get into breaking that game down uh, in a month or month or month and a half. Here's a name you might've forgotten about Tom Herman just got hired by FAU and they're, they're moving conferences this year too. They're, they're going to be in the American, uh, which is probably just going to be turned into a carbon copy of CUSA, but he's getting another chance after doing television for, for a year at a, at a lower level. And you're in a state where it's a very rich recruiting ground. Uh, you know, it's not not quite a Lane Kiffin uh, magnitude higher down there, but it shows that the school is pretty serious about football as they move up to to the American or quote unquote up to the American. Yeah, I mean, he he had a he's the guy who kind of put Houston football, at least on the modern map. Um, you know, pretty much everyone who's gone to Texas has gone out in the you know, in a blaze of glory in some form or fashion. Uh, so uh, I, I can't completely blame him for flaming out there. It'd be like blaming a, you know, Dooley, Pruitt, or Butch Jones for flaming out at Tennessee. Sometimes it's just, you know, you go there, get your money, get your 10 minutes, you know, your, your three or four years of fame, and then step aside because it's an absolute dumpster fire. Uh, I, I think it's a, it's a good hire for an up-and-coming school and a great way for him to not have any pressure as he tries to get himself back up into like he was, I, I think, I think Lane Kiffin's a really, really good comparison. Lane Kiffin, Hugh Freeze, um, Hugh Freeze for different reasons, but um, both just trying to find good stable stepping stones to prove themselves and get back into big conference football. Forgot to take myself off mute there. I was getting intrigued by those, kind of second chance type hires, like whether, whether a guy's been penalized by the NCAA or just, you know, got, got you know, sucked at his old job and or whatnot, kind of like Tom Herman just wasn't made for Texas. Um, but it's, it's a, pro, a program, a university I've seen a lot of since I worked in conference USA for a couple of years. And now, now they're, I think they're getting a deserved move up along with Charlotte um, rice, UTSA UAB is another program that has traditionally had a strong football program. That's now, getting to test its mettle in a, a league that has a little bit more visibility than conference USA did. Uh, they've, they've put some guys into the NFL. They've, they, they've had some, some really, really strong teams. You know, they, they came in and won the conference USA championship in 2020 against Marshall in Huntington. So 
that, that's a program I've got got some respect for too. And the, these these mid major changes, Liberty is coming to Conference USA, um, so there's just a lot to catch up on uh, with that. And I, I'm I'm I, you know, Char- Charlotte is another team we talked about uh, last season that Will Healy kind of kind of flamed out too. Um, they're they're also going to be in that conference, and there's going to be more visibility for those teams that I've already seen a little bit of. So that's that that'll be cool to see them maybe on ESPN instead of Facebook, uh, CBS or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I I remember going to the first game uh, Charlotte ever had. It was against Campbell, and they routed us like forty nine to seven or something like that. Um, absolute travesty of of a matchup. Um, but I've seen Charlotte play two or three times um, because they played Tennessee a couple times in the last few years. And I went with some UNC Charlotte fans a couple years back uh, where Jeremy Pruitt managed to eke out a 14 to nine win over Charlotte, which was um, uh, honestly folks didn't look into that enough for it being, uh, you know, kind of a foreshadowing for the rest of his tenure there. But uh, Charlotte certainly, they're in a hotbed. If they're able to snag a couple of guys um, who maybe want to stay home, just like living in Charlotte, maybe find some NIL deals with Bojangles, Bank of America, you know, the the, the big HQs out there. I, Char- Charlotte's one of those places that I think could really get on board, not to mention you have the pro team there um, right next to them. So uh, watch out for UNC Charlotte and Charlotte in the next decade or so, because I think that's a program that is certainly on the rise and it's evidenced by a move up that they're having right now. Um, and another team that I think is like that is UT San Antonio um, that they're, they're on Tennessee schedule this year. They were in the top 25 last year. They are definitely, definitely, definitely not a team that I wanted to see on Tennessee schedule this year, but um, we're, we're here. We have, we have to make it through that. Uh, their, their quarterback, um, stayed he could have he could have gone um he decided to stay and um you know what we're gonna we're gonna have to deal with it it's it's gonna be a, a tall task this is definitely the game that's circled on their schedule um frank harris is just he's he's a dude um, go watch some frank harris highlights you'll you'll love it he's such a modern quarterback um one of those guys he's got a million dollar smile just at, you just kind of like him from watching him um, I don't think I'm going to like him from watching him when he plays Tennessee, but otherwise it's cool to see the Roadrunners uh, get, get a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of prime shine, which they should be when they go in the Neyland Stadium in September. Yeah, another one of those pop-up programs from 10 or 15 years ago in a bigger city that's benefited from that and in a, a facility too with the Alamo Dome. That's, that's, I still think it's pretty cool for football. So, yeah, those, are, just, those are – yeah. They just landed their their highest rated recruit of all time a couple of days ago, four star safety. Yeah, um, I mean, fifty second rated in the state of Texas, but that's the best recruit that they've ever landed. Which is that's saying something when you when you consider the state of of Texas football right now with the Longhorns, TCU, Texas Tech landed a five star receiver the other day. You have Texas A and M, just a, a Houston. You have a lot of really good teams, and they're slowly but surely edging their name into the conversation yeah and i just i i it's gonna be weird to see when yeah what the recruiting battles look like between texas and a&m when texas comes into the sec it's it's like and i i'm just i mean i know that's not happening this year but if i could put one year into the future we're gonna have that rivalry back and that was one of my favorite kind of the last the last thing i had kind of impromptuly was 
that that rivalry is so so close to coming back and it's already happening in the in the recruit because you alluded to it earlier you're recruiting for your new conference so it's already happening texas versus a&m out you know on the recruiting trail and it's going to start happening again on the field which is is going to be really awesome yep i was just about to pop pipe in there and you know th- th- this is the year that the recruiting cycle for right now is for next year so um everyone who comes into texas and oklahoma this year in this recruiting class you sign in december you're an sec player you you will never play in the big 12 big 10 whatever they decide to leave it uh and, and name it it's been both um it's kind of exciting uh as much as i was kind of ho-hum oh well about ou and texas joining uh i don't know it's well once you see their names on the schedule and you see their schedules reflect it um it it kind of it kind of lit a little bit more of a fire in me watching the schedule reveal about a month ago, um, and just seeing Texas and Oklahoma and just knowing we're probably going to play at least one of these teams every single year. And as as much as that makes the schedule a little bit harder, I I'd re- I watch this for matchups. It wouldn't be any fun, honestly. And it's not I'm not going to throw shade at Georgia because they've done their due diligence in playing out of conference. But I look at their schedule from last year and it's like. Do you, do you even feel like, did, did you even like, did your heart rate even go up at a, at a single point in the season last year, outside of maybe that, what the hell happened in Columbia, Missouri? Um, like, did, did your heart rate even elevate? Like, was it even fun? Um, so, sometimes just winning like that is not fun. Nick Saban has gotten onto his crowd about that before. He's like, these guys are leaving. We're up 50 to nothing. And I didn't think you could win too much, but apparently it's, it's just not exciting enough for our fans. Um, so I, I think it just it adds one more quality opponent that's in the pool. Um, that's one last time over a decade you play Vanderbilt probably. You one time out of ten you're going to replace that with Texas or Oklahoma, and that's just it's cool. We we get to see Texas matchups and Oklahoma matchups that um, that never would have been otherwise. So I I'm actually pretty excited for it now. Yeah, definitely. We we lost a lot of rivalries with the uh the tra- the college re- realignment back in the first and second waves and now now it's kind of coming full circle and I, it's it's a little bit it's it's comforting i hope they put that game back on thanksgiving where uh, the, the egg bowl has traditionally been they can still have missouri back though they don't belong here oh, yeah, yeah, yeah they don't need to be here go get give me one of the s uh, the acc teams uh y'all can i i would say you could have vanderbilt back but that's i don't know it's kind of nice having one win on the schedule you know <laughs> before you even have to start um other than other than that, uh, the SEC is slowly but surely going to add uh, two teams in the next couple of years as well, uh, most likely from the ACC. So it's not the end of expansion, uh, but this is certainly um, if you don't like what's happening now, you're definitely not going to like what's coming in the next five years across college football because it's about to get insane. And the what, what you knew today is not going to be what you know in five years. Yeah, ever changing landscape. I know that better than anybody here. Working at a working at sports, as 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 you might say. Uh, Novak Djokovic won that second set. By the way, I think Thompson's about to come back to the. He'll be back in time for the next family cookout. I think. Uh, so you can look forward to that. Talk Shrimp about how, the he, Bobby. how he got beat. How he got beat by the the best tennis player, current best active tennis player in the world. The Joker. Yeah. Uh, Definitely not, 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 I wouldn't take him over Federer in his prime, but, but still fun to watch that kind of dominance. Yeah. Well, we got to see those matchups a couple of times and uh, uh, between Federer, Djokovic and Nadal, we didn't have a very broad 
top of tennis, but we had a very strong top of tennis and that the matchups between those three were always just, you know, edge of your seat. Even if you didn't really care about tennis, always edge of your seat, especially Federer and Nadal. Yeah. It's no, it's no UConn versus San Diego state in the, in the national men's basketball championship. <laughs> uh, I mean, of, of course that's an electric factory. Yeah, most definitely. Well, it's about all the time we've got here from once again, the original Nasser Alexander Kuchecki Studios. Thanks for joining us. And here at the end of the show, I want to go ahead and plug our latest episode of The Right Hosh as well. Uh, we put, we'll put that up. We put that up a couple days before this one. So let it breathe a little bit. And uh, we'll talk to you next time from the Nasser Alexander Kuchecki Studios.